All right. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Opportunity Knocks today. So happy to be joined by Katie Shin, celebrity chef and author. And she is just a wealth of information. She's had lots of transitions for us and so much to talk about as far as what she's been through in her life and how she's gotten to where she is today. So just a little bit about Opportunity Knox. It's a, a weekly podcast where we feature female entrepreneurs on how to make, take, create, and evaluate what opportunities. So um, thank you so much for being here today. I'm so happy that you said yes and that we get to hear a lot about your background. Thank you so much for having me, Michelle. You know, I'm a big fan. Oh, well, I, I feel lucky that we, you know, we actually, everybody out there, this is a great opportunity where Katie actually was somebody who did catering for an event of mine. And we realized we had so many friends in common and then we both love karaoke. So then I felt like I was going to be her best friend and then COVID hit. So, Hey, it's all good. <laughs> <laughs> But anyways, I'd love to start by you telling the audience a little bit about yourself and your background, because, you know, there's lots of depth there. Well, it's sort of a long story, but I'm going to try to condense it. Uh, It starts with my mother, who was a famous chef and restaurateur in Minneapolis, where I was born and raised. But my mother immigrated from China in the 1950s. She always loved to cook. She was a seamstress making 50 cents an hour right? And she decided to throw a luncheon for some of her sewing clients. And they were so blown away by tasting authentic Chinese cuisine for their for the first time in their lives, because back in the day, there was only chop suey and chow mein. They encouraged her to start teaching classes and to cater and one thing led to another. And meanwhile, she had to take the bus because she didn't even have a car or a license to cater wow. and teach these classes. And then she hooked up with a socialite who wanted to open a restaurant with her. So the socialite was friends with the owner of the Minnesota twins and the owner said owner of the Minnesota twins was friends with Sean Connery. What? Like it's a crazy story. And this is all in Minnesota, all in Minnesota. Okay. In the mid 1983, I think it was. So um, both Sean Connery and the owner of the Minnesota twins invested in my mom's first restaurant which was insane. Oh my God. And she kept growing the company, growing it, growing it, growing it. Um, eventually she sold it to General Mills in the oh uh, mid 1980s. And their, their plan was to take the concept nationally when General Mills o- o- uh, owned restaurant chains. Um, and they made her president of the division. Now bear in mind, she was making 50 cents an hour as a seamstress uh-huh. and she never even went to high school incredibly inspiring woman. She went on to set up a foundation. She was on the board of the Minnesota Twins and the Minnesota Vikings had never even been to a game. She did a concert with Prince and Sheila E. Miles Davis for the local PBS station. She became a huge pillar of the community because A, she really epitomized the American dream, right? And she inspired so many people, especially minority women. So I grew up in her company. Um, By the way, she grew that to a $50 million company. Um, and she ended up, it's, it's a crazy story. Meanwhile, we grew up in the basement of our tiny little house in Minneapolis, Minnesota, right? Where there were no Asians at the time, you know, you know, frying chicken pieces and frying egg rolls while all the other kids were at the mall or at the ice skating rink. And we were gritting our teeth, but we really knew something magical was happening to our mom. So, um, you know, how many of their, how many of, uh, siblings do you have? 
Uh, three sisters and a brother. Oh, okay. Wow. So we're all in there. You know, it's the Chinese way, Chinese mm-hmm. child labor. That we're was all the working, way most working, people working. Were back then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, any, any child of an immigrant, you know, that's what, that's what you do. So I grew up in this um, crazy story. So proud of my mom, but I was like, I am never staying in Minnesota. It is freaking cold. It's like 50, million, 50 degrees below zero. Uh, there, at the time, no Asians. And I was like, I'm getting out of here and I am never working in the food industry. So I moved to, after college, moved to LA, worked in the entertainment industry for 14 years. Yeah. Um, and so my last studio job, I was a senior VP of uh, promotions and product placement at Fox. And I decided to throw a dinner party but I had forgotten how to cook. So I kept calling my mom and asking her questions. And she was like, this is ridiculous. So she got on a plane with frozen lemon chicken. She showed up on my doorstep in Mandeville Canyon. She came inside, she cooked the whole dinner, but she let everybody think I had cooked it. Cause she was just that kind of mom. But me and credit just want to know. Well, she wouldn't come out. So I had to take, I was like, I did it. So she opened my fridge and she found only champagne and yogurt. Totally mortified. So she kept flying back to LA, teaching me and my friends how to cook. And they were like, you guys make this look so easy. You should do a cookbook together. So I totally changed my life, quit my job, left my then husband all in the same month. We did a cookbook together. We had a show on PBS together. We went to the Food Network, uh, to China with the Food Network. We did all these amazing things on um, together. You know, we went on the Today Show a bunch of times. And then, um, so basically she passed away about 12 years ago. And my last cookbook, my fourth cookbook honors her memory. Oh, wow. That's amazing. That's so inspiring to hear that you would choose to just completely up and quit and divorce your husband, get a divorce, <laughs> all in the same time frame because most people can't even handle one. So- How did that, you know, you just were like inspired at that moment because your mom gave you so much courage or, you know, it sounds a little corny. Um, And I will say I had the luxury to really take this big risk because I didn't have kids at the time. You know, I felt like I could just go for it. I had moved out and um, I just realized life is too short to live, feel like you're like you're living a lie. You know what I mean? And I didn't feel passionate either in my personal or professional life. So I was staying with my friend in his guest house with a giant Dick, Dirk Diggler sign over my bed. Um, and I saw this, it's a long story. Uh, I, I had just pulled out this thing from Old Magazine and it said, leap and the net will appear. And I was like, you know what? It's so true. If not now, then when? Yeah. Life is so short. And I was like, what have I got to lose? What do I really have to lose? Worst case scenario, I go back to my old career. I can always consult on the side. Growing up, you know, as an immigrant child, I knew I could make money, even if I had to sweep floors. Absolutely. So um, I just decided to go for it. And it was just an absolutely wonderful gift to be able to spend that time with my mom. Yes. Because she was so busy. We didn't really know each other until, you know, I really became an adult. So were you, what was your uh, profession before you got into the culinary world? So I worked in marketing and promotions on the studio side. So my last job, I was a senior vice president of uh, marketing and promotions at Fox. And I worked at Disney and Universal and and some others. So do you think that having that background helped you when you became an entrepreneur? Or would you say that perhaps the grit of being an immigrant, coming from an immigrant family, that that helped you really kind of catapult forward? 
It was definitely both. I feel so fortunate to have had that uh, training working at Disney and Fox and Universal as far as being an executive and knowing and having marketing skills. But I think it was uh, my mother who taught me, you know, my work ethic, the grit, the um, responsibility I had, you know, to pay it forward and really carry on her legacy. She never put that kind of pressure on me. But I will say, you know, my worlds would collide, you know, mm-hmm. East, West, East meets West worlds would collide. For example, we went to China for the Food Network before social media, and I printed up all these postcards, mailed them out to hundreds of people, you know, tune in notice, we're going on the Food Network. And she pulled me aside. And she goes, the thing is, Chinese people don't go around saying, look at me. Yeah, they don't. Look at me. And then I felt like shame, like, Mm. oh my God, all this shame. So I was trying to be a good Chinese daughter, but at the same time, just really trying to look at our collaboration as a business Mm -hmm. and a brand. So, um, you know, in the back of my mind, I knew I was doing the right thing, but it didn't come with, you know, going in my room and closing the door and feeling like I was six years old again. Yeah, it's an interesting thing. I've been actually thinking about the word humble a lot because I, I also um, was just finishing a um, blog post of mine and it's on like, what makes you shine? Like, what are your, essentially another word, what are your strengths, right? But I talk about when we were younger in our generation and particularly being immigrant families, you were not allowed to say what you were good at. And um it's an interesting question because how do you feel about like more recent generations and how they handle, you know, uh, praise or do they, do they take too much praise or, you know, is there something to be taught there regarding those things? Like, where's the line? Well, you know, it's a fuzzy line. And I think we both uh, can relate to this challenge having tweens and teens. I have 12 year old twins and they're, growing up in this TikTok generation. And my daughter and I do a live streaming show every Sunday at three o'clock on Facebook and Instagram. It's Cooped Up Cooking with Katie and Becca. Um, And, you know, they're used to being on screen or at least my daughter is. Um, And as far as, you know, learning humility and graciousness, it's something you have to just drill into them Mm -hmm. constantly. Because I think in my family, my mother never said anything to me out loud. It was always looks mm-hmm. like Absolutely. disapproving looks yes and she got, had me a the look was enough oh my god like one look could send me into a spiral or she you know make me a special dish and then I knew I did a good job but it was just a lot more inherent and, and just understood I feel I feel like I'm constantly saying say thank you say please look people in the eye you know because they're just distracted and it's my fault I mean I hope other people can relate to what I'm saying, but especially during COVID, we really have to keep an eye on that and continually reinforce it. And also, you know, set an example, try to set an example. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you is that um, it's different. And I'm not quite sure, like you said, if they are distracted or, you know, if it's a focus thing or if it, I know that um, I cut the thing that constantly goes through my head is model the behavior, model the behavior, model the behavior. And I think, um, you know, they're usually probably better than they are with other people than they are with us. So, oh, completely. 
Yes. So angels me. outside the house, devils inside the house. Exactly. <laughs> but they're mostly inside the house now. So exactly. <laughs> so tell me um, about this new book that you have coming out. So a lot of people, you know, our audience a lot of times is female entrepreneurs, people that are just launching, people that have an idea but don't know how to get started. So you know. I have a book idea and I want to do something. What would you recommend? I mean, I'm looking at you and I'm saying, wow, she's on book four. That's amazing. So how did that all happen? Like, where do you get started? Well, I was so fortunate to have had a very famous mother. So uh, when we pitched the book idea, they loved the idea of the mother daughter, you know, relationship, but she had 50 restaurants. So um, that, deal happened pretty easily. And to be honest, I was still working at Fox. So I didn't really do that much (laughs) for that cookbook. I did a lot of the writing, but my mom did almost all the recipes. But you know, I learned a hard lesson. And this is where I like to say, you know, if one door closes in your life, climb through the window, there's always another way. There's always a creative solution because, you know, you have um, dreams, you have goals, and it just may not pan out exactly the way you thought, but it can even be richer in the end. So long story short, after my mother passed away, I tried to get another book deal, but I didn't have a strong enough platform. So that was really depressing. I mean, it was like, (laughs) what do I do now? So a friend of mine, you know, in the industry connected me with a different kind of publisher that does more like 300 best panini recipes, 300 best muffin recipes. And so they wanted me to do a book and it was less personality driven. And I I was like, okay, I'll try it. And so I cut my teeth on that. I did the work, you know, another great quote that was told to me is never dream harder than you work. Like you have got to put the work in. I mean, I uh, felt that. Yeah. You know, I was like, kind of floating that you just have to sit there and be, and it manifests. And you're like, no, you have to work. (laughs) You have to. And even if you feel like, oh my God, I can't believe I just, you know, I just another milestone. I'm so, so excited. You have to keep working it and working it. Um, So anyway, I did that book first and then I just so believe in the power of serendipity because I happened to go to a, a culinary conference called IACP, the International Association of Culinary Professionals. I was just walking down the aisle and uh, this publisher Tuttle, they specialize in Asian cookbooks. I met the rep and I said, oh, I've heard of you guys. And they're like, we've heard, we've heard of you. Do you want to do a cookbook, a Thai cookbook from a working mom's perspective? And I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, okay. And so- Listen, I've been very fortunate because of my mother's credibility and all of that. But, um, you know, you have to try to get an agent or you can self-publish. You have to write a proposal. Anybody can DM me. Honestly, I'm happy to give anybody advice. Um, You know, there's basically a structure for a proposal. But the main takeaways that I got from the proposal example that was set to me is why this book and why at this time for any kind of book? Why now? Why this book? Why now? What's the competitive landscape? What's your unique point of difference? And how do you see marketing it? So I think, um, you know, if you can just try to remember those key points when you write your proposal, um, you know, you'll be successful if you have a valid idea. Yeah, I mean, I think that um, you make a really good point is that so often women stop themselves because they're worried that their proposal's not correct or it's not valid, right? A valid idea. So what would you say to the woman that's constantly stopping themselves? I think you have to really 
stop for a moment and realize that life is really short. What have I got to lose, right? If not now, then when? Also, reach out to your squad, mm-hmm. right? Reach out to that short list of women that have always had your back, that have experience, maybe not directly, but they probably know somebody that, that can help you. So it's so critical to ask for help. If I hadn't asked for help, you know, I had just happened to have a breakfast with um, our old editor who got me that deal for the rice cooker cookbook. If I didn't say anything, we could have just had like a normal breakfast. How are you? How are the kids? Blah, blah, blah. I was like, I'm really, you know, I've hit a wall. Mm-hmm. So it's also you have to be okay with showing some weakness and vulnerability. Oh, you it, don't have to be perfect all the time, yeah. right? Yes, I so agree with you. I mean, I think that um, people have perceptions that if you've done more or you've got to the next level or whatever it might be that, that you're, you have your shit together or you have, you totally understand what you're supposed to do, but everybody needs support. Completely. And we're all pivoting right now and taking, taking on new challenges and feeling like, I don't know what I'm doing. Most of us feel like we don't know what we're doing. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm like, I'm like, like oh, hold on a minute. Yeah, I'm like, okay. <laughs> but you know, and this is another, I mean, like love over obviously, but I just love her quote of, you know, luck is when opportunity meets preparation. Absolutely. So you look at people and you're like, oh my God, they're so lucky. Oh my God. But you know what? They worked hard for it. Mm-hmm. And maybe somebody gets some stroke of luck thing, but like, it's not sustainable unless you've really done the work. Absolutely. So, so tell me like, you know, when you're talking about like forming a squad and having that core group you're you're somebody like I am who connects to people really easily, you know, you know, so like, where do you find your squad? Like, how do you go? About, I mean, like, look at just in this call, like before we got, you know, on when you were telling me about the two different opportunities you have to meet new people. I'm like, I love her. Like, I need to talk to her more often because <laughs> she knows of these. She does fun stuff. She's a doer. And we all need the doer. Right. And I feel like so often I'm the doer, but I love that like there's a, there's other people like me that are like, come along, come along, you know? So how do you recommend to somebody like when they're trying to grow their community or find their tribe, like, where do they go? Of course they talk to me, but I mean, other than that. Yes. Yes. You know what? Talk to Michelle, but I think you can find some incredible women's networking groups out there that you can uh, join or join one of their social events. For me, I just um, decided to uh, form a game night and the whole thing completely exploded. I can't even explain it, but for so many of the women in this group, it's just been such a source of light to come together, to laugh together, to support each other, to lift each other up. So I think, you know, you can even start with like two or three people that you just have fun with, to Mm -hmm. connect with, to have a connection with, because we're all seeking that connection for sure. And you know what, maybe you don't think of yourself as that person, but maybe you are, give it a try, Mm -hmm. right? Absolutely. I think like when you're talking about that, two things that really came to mind is like fun and light. And I think that's something that in all the seriousness that we have that is surrounding us and all the I don't knows for all of us is that it's always nice to gather with people to reaffirm like we're all just trying our best, right? 
Totally. um, I think it's, I think it's beautiful that you say that. So, so I have a question for you when, when COVID happened, I mean, you're in the culinary space, you know, um, what went through your head? Like, how did you handle it? I mean, honestly, it must've not been easy. You know, I think for me and a lot of people whose careers were uh, greatly impacted because I have a catering business called Walkstar Catering. Um, honestly, my husband and I and our kids, we just packed up and moved to Lake Arrowhead where we have a mountain home for seven months because I knew, you know, like I can't do this. Right. So um, it was depressing and scary, obviously, but you just have to like take each day as it comes. But I just looked at my daughter, Becca, who's 12. And I was like, do you want to do a show together? (laughs) She's like, okay. So we started doing a live stream cooking series called Cooped Up Cooking with Katie and Becca three times a week from our home in Lake Arrowhead. And it kept me busy. And it also was really inspiring for me because all these people were watching us. Mm. Um, I couldn't hear them, but I could see their comments. And I felt like I was at a party three times a week. And that that really saved me because I'm like seeing my friends hearing from people. We got all sorts of sponsors and that really serendipitously led to a huge uh, career move for me because a company that does virtual classes happened to see, well, I'll just say it. I have a Facebook whore. So I was sharing all the live streams to 125 groups. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow, they happened crazy. to see me. They happened to see this company called hungry saw me and they're like, we're looking for an Asian chef. And before I knew it, I started teaching. I'm teaching like you know, 15 to 16 classes for them now a week for major corporations. So um, it wasn't strategic. I didn't have a plan, but sometimes if you just believe in yourself and you have a fun idea and you put it out there, you just don't know what it'll lead to. Yeah. I mean, it's clear that what you did was you took an opportunity, right? Uh, you literally saw like, here's a, here's something that I could do with my time. I can enjoy my time with my daughter, number one, but I'm just going to impart some wisdom. I'm just going to have some fun, but that's amazing that you had pushed it out to 125 groups. <laughs> my friend Christos is like, Oh my God, I think I saw you on Lithuanians who love Chinese food. <laughs> <laughs> so funny like I'm just not afraid I don't care you know like if they want to watch it they'll watch it but if they don't they don't so again it's also like who cares Mm -hmm. what people think like you know I just share your joy and your passion and I felt like Becca and I really were were sharing that with people and teaching them something valuable for me like watching the camaraderie that the two of you had it was amazing like it was fun to watch it was entertaining really uh, a special time for us to have that together. And she is a tween. So she rolls her eyes at me, but you know, that's what it's all about. I'm just no filter. You know, she's just being herself. I'm being myself, but I feel like definitely later in, I don't want to get emotional, but like the times that my mother and I had together on TV and our, our PBS show, like I have all that footage and I still hard for me to watch, but I think it'll be, you know, a gift for her. Yeah, that's when she gets older. Thank you for sharing that, Katie. I, um, I know I also had my mother pass like a year ago and there's nothing like those types of, thank you. Those types of beautiful uh, interactions um, that can never be replaced. Right. So during this time of COVID, how beautiful is it that you give your daughter that gift and yourself that gift to kind of almost bring to the next generation. So 
gorgeous. Gorgeous. Thank you. Um, so we need to wrap up because it's 201 and we said two. Oh. So um, I just wanted to make sure that we le- left our viewers with any type of last minute words of wisdom that you want to share with them. And of course, your Instagrams and um, website. And when's your book coming out? It's coming out April 27th, 2021. Katie Chin's Global Family Cookbook. So please pre-order it now. Exactly. I love it. And then tell me just your Instas and stuff. Um, on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, uh, LinkedIn at Chef Katie Chin. Okay. Awesome. So I just say go for it. Life is short. Just go for it and, uh, you know, make the most of each day. Oh, thank you. I really appreciate your time and thank you all for being on this call with us and tune in to more Opportunity Knocks for amazing people just like Katie. Oh, thank you so much. So, so much, Michelle. Oh, thank you. Bye.